You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. If bell hooks were writing 16 frivolous novels, I don't think anyone would care. But when you write the kind of books that people tell you, this book changed my life, those books, I think, are often perceived as a threat. Author Bell Hooks. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. How and where do race and class and gender, art, history, and capitalism all converge? That question was at the heart of the 30 or so books that were written by Bell Hooks, the pen name chosen by Gloria Jean Watkins. Now, those 30 books won her much admiration, but also being a black female activist and feminist made her the target for many. In her 1999 book, Remembered Rapture, Bell Hooks reflected on some of the many challenges that she had faced as a writer and activist. And that's when I had the chance to meet her for the first of our several conversations. So here now from 1999, Bell Hooks. I have been unaware of this phenomenon that you so eloquently describe in your book of people approaching women writers and perhaps women writers of color in particular and asking them, you in particular, why do you write so much? I, it, it, it occurred to me, I mean, if, you know, when I find an author whose work that I really like, my question is usually just the opposite. Why don't you write more? Well, those are the kinds of things that Bell Hooks fans say to me. We can't wait for your next yeah. book. But I think what's been interesting about me is that I try to move deeper into mainstream audiences. And when I tried to do that, um, that's when I got much more feedback about you're, dry, you're writing too much. Uh, people will say, oh, your books say the same things. And I said, well, have you read my books? I don't think they're saying the same things. But I think that's part of the issue is how the, the mainstream world, how the world of publishing looks at women writers. Just for example, in, in the new book here, Remembered Rapture, I talk about confession and how um, the fact is men have had a tra tradition of confessional writing from the day Columbus wrote in his, you know, journals about his experience of, of conquering the new world. And we have honored those confessional writings of men throughout our history in this nation. And all of a sudden, in the space of less than 10 years, women begin to create a body of confessional work. And we're suddenly told, there's too much confession going on. There's too much autobiography, too much memoir. And that is a kind of underlying attack on both, I think, feminism and on women in general coming to voice in a way that's powerful, in a way that really does have the power to galvanize masses of readers. And that was something we didn't know 20 years ago because so many women weren't doing it. Is, is it a case of the men and perhaps the white men in particular who run the mainstream publishing industry saying, you can have a voice, just don't have too much of a voice? I think it's absolutely that. And don't have too powerful a voice. Because I think that if Bell Hooks, for example, were writing 16 frivolous novels, I don't think anyone would care. I don't think anyone would say I'm writing too much. But when you write the kind of books that people tell you, this book changed my life. Um, so often people will say to me, I was about to drop out of graduate school and then someone gave me um, talking back or someone, people will say, you know, I felt suicidal and someone gave me Sisters of the Yam 
Black Women in Self-Recovery, and it really helped me. Those books, I think, are often perceived as a threat by people because they change the way people think. Mm-hmm. You're, you're very dangerous. Well, I think all critical thinkers are dangerous in a culture where the intellectual thought has not been prized. Ours is still an anti-intellectual culture. I mean, people like to think that ours is a culture that prizes literacy because we have bookstores and you, you, but people forget that there are 38 million poor people in this culture. There are masses of people who don't read or write and write. In fact, I mean, I start this new book, Remembered Rapture, The Writer at Work, by reminding people that literacy is still a major issue in our culture. And while we're talking about the information highway and the superhighway, we have to remember that we are still in need of public schools that teach students the basic fundamentals of reading and writing. Well, in many families these days, it seems that literacy is just taken for granted. It's, it's like the air around us, but in your family, it was anything but taken for granted. Well, in most families who are, that working class and poor families, and I think, again, that, you know, we are living in a society that doesn't want to think about class. And at the same time, we are fast becoming a nation like many other places, like Brazil, like other places in the world where there is a great gap between those who have privilege, where literacy is accepted, a given, everybody has books, and people forget that there are still masses of poor and working class people for whom reading is still a, a, a zone of fear, of anxiety, of tension, and those are the kinds of topics I'm trying to talk about in Remembered Rapture. I mean, there is a chapter on class and writing where okay. I, I'm saying that, you know, where you come from class-wise may have a great deal of impact on what you feel free to say, what you think you can talk about openly. I talk about how my working class parents, whom I just love so much and who've helped me so much, at the same time, ours was a dysfunctional household, and I try to write about that. And that's wounding to them. They feel like we, we work so hard to, to, to raise our kids and to send you off to school, and then this is how you repay us? You write these horrible things about us? And that's very different from if I was a middle and upper class child who had grown up in therapy and a tradition of sharing outside the home. And I think that there are lots of spaces where confession is not allowed or just speaking your feelings. There are a lot of people in working class environments where speaking your feelings is not a part of daily communication. But writing is, if you can get past the roadblock that so many of us, once we start putting something personal down on paper, it's like your fingers freeze and you realize, maybe I shouldn't write that after all. Or in one case, you know, I wrote something about one of my sisters and I, you know, called her up and I talk about this in a chapter in Remembered Rapture on Ethics. I call her up and I say, I'm going to write this about you. Is it okay with you? She said, oh, fine. I think that's great. But then when she actually saw it in print and when people she knew were read it and were talking to her about it, it was much more painful, much more shocking. She felt much more exposed. And that's true of me, too. I, I found that, you know, it never occurred to me when I wrote the last two books of mine, which were memoirs, Bone Black and Wounds of Passion, that I was revealing all of these things about myself um, that I would then meet someone, because I'm a single person, I still date, and 
who would know all these things about me. And I remember, you know, I met some person. He said something to me like, oh, you're wearing the color pink, but you don't like the color pink. I said to him, well, how do you know that? He says, oh, I read your memoir, Bone Black. <laughs> so even the writer can have a real sense of distance between what it means to sit in a room by yourself and write these words on a page and then key them into a computer, because I both write and use the computer. Mm-hmm. And that's a different experience from a public reading those words and asking questions. And people often feel they know me when they meet me. And I, I feel like, well, you know, I don't have that knowledge of you and you don't know all of me. I, I've, I have happened to be careful when I've interviewed authors of memoirs because it occurs that same phenomenon has occurred to me. I know everything about them. I've, they bring their spouses along and say, I know all about you. And the stunned look on their faces because I realize they don't know, like you said, they don't know anything about me, but they're, they're, the author of the book has revealed everything to me about them. That's, that's or kind of, revealed a lot. Or revealed a lot. I yeah, think that's the important I thing is I believe privacy is important in all our lives. And while there is a place for confession, we have to remember that there is never a whole picture. You never get the total picture. Mm-hmm. And that's important so that we honor that there are things we need to be open about. Per- personally, as a as a woman who really cares about the welfare of children in this society. I think we need to be open about what's going on in families. I think we need to be open about how many children are wounded psychologically and physically in families. But that doesn't mean that we don't also, all of us, need a space of privacy in our lives. And it's the real question is how do we juggle those two things? After this short break, bell hooks on why we're not allowed to change our minds anymore. Back to my 1999 conversation with Bell Hooks. Another phenomenon that you addressed in one of your chapters is the idea that apparently in today's marketplace there can only be one prominent black female writer at a time, and that there isn't really room for for lots and lots of them on the bookstore shelves, or so the common wisdom goes. Well, we have to remember that market forces are always interested in the commodity that makes it big. So if there is one black woman writer who becomes very successful, the marketplace wants to focus on that sole person um, and not, in fact, to, to open up the space and to allow more people to come into to, to the space and different kinds of writing. And one of the things that is, you know, unique to the books that I've written is that they're all nonfiction books. And I do think we live in a culture that has become, the black woman writer of fiction has become more uh, accepted by the American public and television talk shows that have featured fiction writers and more people have read Toni Morrison, um, Alice Walker, etc. But it is nonfiction writing that is still um, an area that all women struggle to gain um, the kind of recognition that is given men, particularly if the writing we do is political. And in my case, that it's progressive, that it's writing from the left, um, it's writing from a perspective that challenges people. But also I gather from what you've written that you are considered dangerous in another way and that you're unpredictable. That they don't know what you're going to say. Well, one of the things I like um, is the phrase, you know, the closing of the American mind, because, I, you know, I think it is a wonderful <laughs> phrase to describe um, the, the, the tendency in our nation as a whole for people to close down anything 
that challenges them. And so I think if in any way I have been a threat as a thinker and a writer is because my mind is open, and I, I call it radical openness, that to be a true intellectual, to be a true thinker, you have to be open to interrogating even your own ideas and saying maybe something you thought two years ago is is not relevant now or needs to be changed. And I think that we're so used to wanting to get a fix on someone, say this is how this person thinks, I know how they think, and people are disturbed because they can't say that about me. Well, I, it occurred to me that along that train of thought, remember a few years ago when they, when Judge Bork was up for the Supreme Court and they went back to writings that he'd written 15 and 20 and 25 years earlier, or when Lonnie Guineer was, was up for, uh, for, for her nomination and they went back to writings that she'd written years and years earlier. Is there no room today for people's opinions and views and, 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 and uh, the way they see the world to change at all? Well, I think that that's what happens, though, when you live in a market um, economy where people are always trying to create a product and make that product sell as long as possible so that w when you try to make a writer into a product, and these are the kind of concerns I raised in Remembered Rapture, it becomes hard for, for thinkers and writers to say, I need to grow, I need to change um, what I think, I need to write in a different way. I've been taught liking it to music where we acknowledge, say, with jazz musicians like a John Coltrane or Miles Davis, that there have been development in um, how they, the, their their music as they went along in their careers, that they started out one way, ended up another way. We often want writers of all races and all genders to have one voice that they continue through their writing career or one idea that it that floats through all of their work and when people say no i want to be mercurial i want to change i want to have i want to be polyphonic and have many voices people become disturbed especially the marketing department absolutely what will we say to people what will they say to the bookstore buyers we can't send our reps around to sell a book like this they won't buy it you know when i wrote my book on teaching teaching to transgress um it was a wonderful moment that I went and talked with the reps and, um, you know, that go all over the U.S. And they said, well, we don't understand the meaning of this word transgress. And they were very disturbed by the title. And initially there was some thought about should the title be changed. But then when I went and talked with them and said, this is what this word means. People out in, you know, Oklahoma and Nebraska and, and in Idaho and all over the U.S., they can understand what this word means. And the main thing was getting those sales forces to understand how to present something that was different. But I think one thing that came through in, in every chapter that I read is keep writing, keep expressing, keep going for yourself if for nobody else. Well, for me, I am deeply concerned about free speech. I really believe that on all levels in our lives in this country and around the world, we are embracing forms of surveillance, whether it's, you know, caller ID, whether it's the, the ID you show at the airport, whether it's the cameras that scan us in an elevator unaware. I'm really concerned about where is the space for us to think freely, move freely. And I certainly think in the area of writing, we need all the freedom we can get so that people can use their imaginations. We can have new ideas. We can be growing as a nation of readers and thinkers. And Remembered Rapture is trying to, to both celebrate reading and writing, 
but to also caution us against that kind of closing of the mind that does not acknowledge the need for ideas to go all over the place, for us to not try to have a kind of politically correct speech that says, this is what, you can be a writer as a black woman, but this is what you should say. You can be a writer as a gay person, but this is what you can say. I want to read characters in books written by gay people that are straight. I want, just as we every day see images of gay people created by straight people on TV, on in movies, in books, I want us all to be able to have the kind of freedom um, that we talk about as as making this nation a great nation. And a lot of that freedom, to me, lies in free speech. I especially like the um, chapter in this book where I talk about the bookstore reading as one of the more democratic spaces in our culture where people cross class, cross race, cross gender can come together without going to a university setting and hear a writer read and talk to that writer and mingle among themselves because we really don't have that many spaces in our culture where people come together cross race and class that involve ideas. Bell Hooks died last month. She was 69. And you can find easy Amazon links to some of Bell Hooks' books at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure to listen to my interviews with two contemporaries of Bell Hooks with very powerful voices of their own. My 2003 conversation with Alice Walker. With poetry, the poem dictates everything. They're like people. Some people are very tall and skinny. Some people are short and, and plump. You know, poems are like that. They can be long or short, but they totally dictate how they will be, and nothing is wasted. And my 1993 talk with Maya Angelou. I have never been able to say exactly what I mean. It's like trying to describe green to a person who is colorblind, or a melody to a person who has difficulty hearing. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, a scientist who gave us unique insights into our very origins as a species. In fact, his book was called Origins, my 1992 conversation with paleoanthropologist Richard Leakey. When you find a fossil, particularly an important one, the excitement and the deep, deep sense of satisfaction is is probably unmatched almost in any other scientific inquiry. And to be the first to know it, and be the first to see it, the first to feel it, is a very privileged first. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.